Shalom, and welcome to Kehilat Rosh Pina, a dynamic, multicultural, and growing Messianic Jewish congregation located in the heart of Oklahoma City and led by Rabbi Michael Weigand. Our goal is to bring you the message of the Word each week from a Jewish perspective and to exalt the Messiah Yeshua as Lord and Savior overall. We are a loving congregation made up of both Jew and Gentile, now one in the Messiah, with Shabbat morning services at 10.40 a.m. and various studies throughout the week. Please come and join us next time you are in Oklahoma City. We would love to have you. And now, we hope you enjoyed today's message. Uh, for those that don't get our worthy briefs, um, it was found on the verse, watch you therefore and pray always and may be found worthy to escape these things. The first thing is about being a watchman. We're all called to be watchmen. It says in Ezekiel, if the watchman doesn't sound the shofar and doesn't warn, the blood is required at the watchman's hands. The idea of worthy news was actually to provide your prayer points for the day. Not to give you junk news or news that doesn't matter, but really your prayer points of what's happening around the world, what's happening in Israel, what's happening in the U.S., and then what's happening in believers. Uh, the great thing now that we've been doing this for 20 years is now I have journalists in Jerusalem, Rome, Budapest, and throughout the United States. Uh, we really give you a whole variety of things to cover. And then finally, that may be found worthy. Um, so the idea also with the brief was also to give you a, a, a just a mini daily word of encouragement, a daily little teaching in every brief. It goes out to 25,000 people a day. We live in a day and an age where deception is everywhere. You know, if you go ahead and turn on the TV, you know that the TV's lying to you. Look, they're only proving the words of Yeshua true. That's all that's happening. I mean, if you thought that, 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 that you turned on the TV, it, you're getting the facts, uh, okay. Oh, you're not, but okay. But here's the thing. Don't get upset about it. It only means that the Lord's return is, is imminent now. Now, there's a lot of things happening specifically that I think is going to happen this particular summer. One of which is um, when we had our first banking crisis about a month and a half ago, immediately thereafter, the Fed put out a, a, a press release saying that they're going to create what's called the FedNow program. And the FedNow program is actually the introduction to cyber currency. Uh, that is being launched in July. Who, who knew that was coming? Okay, so not every hand is up. Well, that's why you need to get worthy news. We actually, as soon as the, the Fed put out their press release, we, we actually covered the story. But another thing that's happened is inside the Middle East, we're probably going to have a, a war. Um, there's a lot of things that are happening behind the scenes. We actually covered a story that Israel lost a, a, a satellite. And there, the, shortly thereafter, we actually had multiple attacks happen inside Iran, we, uh, inside Syria, rather. We had actually four attacks in five days. They had actually stepped up attacks. And what happened was Iran was smuggling weapons in in earthquake relief with a huge earthquake, the dual earthquakes that happened in Turkey. And the new satellites actually were able to pick up things that we hadn't seen and all of a sudden, they, start, they were striking multiple, multiple things. And then immediately thereafter, we actually were hitting secret factories inside of Syria. Factories that they probably couldn't see before. And all of a sudden, now, Israel had the technology or a new set of technology that we don't really know about. But they were now stepping up their attacks inside of Syria. But on top of that, 
we're actually seeing now the alignment of the terror groups again. For a long, long time, Hezbollah, which is Shiite, and Hamas, which is Sunni, actually weren't getting along. And for the first time after seven years, they actually got together in Beirut. And so that was a, a major event. But then shortly thereafter, Israel went ahead and stepped up its attacks inside of the Gaza Strip. When we were in Israel, we were leading a tour in Israel, and um, you know, I, I really believe in being in key places at key strategic times. So, for example, I was in Great Britain for the great the Brexit exit to go ahead and get a feel for everything that was happening inside Parliament. Um, even when I'm on tour right now, I am we're not booking more than two or three weeks out in advance. I'm purposely not booking far out. Why? Well, when something happens, I want to be able to go to it. I was at George Floyd in Minneapolis 10 days after, within a week after that happened. I actually saw the site. When, when the Chaz and Chad riots were happening in Seattle, I was able to go straight to it. Immediately thereafter, I was able to go to uh, the Antifa riots. Uh, I couldn't do that if my schedule was all booked up. And the other thing is, and, and part of the other reason why, is I got stuck in America. Oh, I shouldn't say stuck. Redeployed to America, Lord. All things work together for good. My brother suddenly passed away February 28, 2020. He is actually two years younger than I am. And when he passed away, both my brother and sister passed away. My mom and my mom and dad are 81 and 82. So they're not in the greatest of health. And I want to be able, if there's ever a situation, I want to be able to, to drive back and kind of, you know, help them out. And if you go ahead and you book out a whole scheduling tour, guess what? You don't have the opportunity to have the freedom in case something happens. So the crazy thing is, We've actually been doing this for three years. We've traveled 140,000 miles, and we haven't had a weekend when we weren't speaking three or four times every weekend. That's just the Lord. And that's just, Lord, where are we going today? And so I'm really thankful that we're here sharing. But in this situation, when we were in Israel, and we were there for the 75th anniversary. I mean, I, I, it was a very historic year this year. And when we were there, um, they had fired rockets. Uh, what happened was a, a, a Hamas, um, one of the leaders had, who had been jailed, decided to go on a fast. Actually, just went on a, a boycott, a hunger boycott. And after 64 days, would you believe it, he died. If you don't eat for 64 days, you know, sooner or later, you're just not going to function anymore. Well, when he dies because he decides not to eat, they fire a rocket saying it's Israel's fault that he died. Well, Israel didn't want to respond, and part of the reason why is because it was in the middle of the 75th anniversary. You don't want to have a, a major war when you're trying to celebrate. Well, in that, the, the newspapers inside of Israel said, oh, Netanyahu is very weak. The government's very weak. They're not standing up to the terrorists. Well, he's trying to prevent a major escalation right at the middle of a great celebration. And there, shortly thereafter, Israel says to Islamic Jihad and says, hey, listen, um, I think we should have some kind of peace. So let's meet in Egypt. Now the Islamic Jihad commanders have been sitting in a bunker hiding. They don't want to get killed. And just when they hear this, oh yeah, yeah, we'll go ahead and meet together. So they go and visit their families before they go to Egypt. Well, Israel didn't go ahead, wasn't actually intentionally seeing them. They actually killed all the Islamic Jihad commanders and actually began an eight-day skirmish shortly after the 75th anniversary. And that's kind of what happened. And so it was a very interesting operation. It was called Operation Shield and Arrow. Now, on top of that, Iran is pressing toward the bomb. And the irony is the IEAE came out with a report in September saying, we're not sure if Iran's nuclear program is for civilian purposes. 
They just figured that out. Well, this week what happened was the Iran basically said, or the IEAE, the International Atomic Energy Agency, said, hey, we're not, we're not, we, we're not going to go ahead and continue our investigation. To which Israel said, I guess we have to make a decision about what to do. And it actually is, is, is stepping up the thing. Because Iran now has enough material, they say, to make five nukes. And now we also have a delivery system. They, they announced the Pave missile system about two months ago. And this week they just announced that they have a hypersonic missile. However, the hypersonic missile uh, from the other defense ministry reports that I've read... Uh, they think that that's actually not so realistic. But the Bavah is. Now, what was interesting, during the month of Purim, and this is why you have to study the feast, the month of Purim is the festival of the Jews being delivered by Haman, or delivered from Haman by Esther and Mordecai. And when this happened, uh, the king couldn't renounce the, the, the decree to kill the Jews, but he did write another decree that the Jews could defend themselves. Well, the IEA came out with a report saying, hey, look, you can't attack nuclear facilities. It's against the law. Well, Netanyahu says, well, which law are we breaking? And irony is that it's happening during this time that the Jews are celebrating their deliverance from Haman. And it happened, and Haman was in where? Iran. So now, so now we just finished a multi-front uh, drill inside of Israel. This is probably the... They've been drilling, it seems, a lot recently. But now the other thing that's kind of happened is that uh, all the signs are pointing to a, an imminent attack. And this week, the ministers, uh, the defense cabinet basically said to Netanyahu, the green light is on. So we're probably going to have a, a war in the Middle East. This is why you need to get our worthy briefs. The information I just gave you is on my briefs in the last two, two months or so. There's so much happening now. You really need to be praying into the events that are taking place. You know, Daniel, when he understood where he was in prophecy, he didn't say, oh, Shadrach, let's pack our bags. We're going home to Jerusalem. No, when he knew the prophecies were being fulfilled, he said he started praying and fasting into the prophetic word. I mean, that's what we need to do. Now, if you like to get our briefs that are free and then also... If you don't get our worthy app, it's a really cool app. And here's the cool thing. It's free. If you go ahead and you, let's say you want to know what's happening in Israel, you click on the Israel tab. Not only do you get worthy news and what we're reporting in Israel, but you can actually see what Jerusalem Post is saying right now or the Times of Israel right now or Ruth Sheva. I actually have a setup for 50 newspapers that you can read all the news instantaneously. You don't need to go ahead and open up 100 different websites. I actually put it together. And it's free can't get cheaper than free. Now, I talked a lot of things, and a lot of things probably started freaking people out, but prophecy is not meant to freak people out. It's for ability and encouragement and comforts. Okay? Why did I share that with you? Why did I share all this news with you? Listen, we're in the middle of birthing a kingdom. I never met a woman that said, I really love giving birth. Right? I never met a woman that, that oh, I just enjoyed it so No, most women are like, get this baby out of me. Right? But there's an event that, that happens that no one's talking about. And, and in the event that happens just before that baby's pushed out, there's a water breaking. There's a water breaking moment. There's a moment. And when the water breaks, right, the contractions didn't get less, it got more intense. But you, you, you knew something, you knew you were at the end. 
I really believe that God's going to pour out his spirit in a fresh new way. I believe it's going to be poured out in such a fresh way, in such a powerful way. It's not that contractions are going to stop. But I think where he's going to empower us in the darkest days that are ahead of us. Because he wants us to be more than conquerors. And so we're living in these days that are happening. Now, I, I want to kind of give you an understanding of where I think we are prophetically. And, if, and to understand where we are prophetically, you actually have to go back a little bit and understand that God is actually using archaeology to kind of tell us where we are prophetically. The day that a Professor Suknik bought the first Dead Sea Scroll in Bethlehem, he went ahead and bought the scroll, and he hadn't seen the scroll. You know, he realized it hasn't been seen in 2,000 years. And it is happening the same day of the UN votes. And the UN is voting the same day that the scrolls haven't been seen in 2,000 years. He writes in his diary, this great event that is taking place. There's something more to this. Now, the, the Professor Suknin, when he buys the first Dead Sea Scroll and he's reading, it's the same day of the UN vote. One of the, one of the fragments that were picked up was a, is called the Isaiah 2 Scroll. It wasn't the, the entire Isaiah scroll, but it's Isaiah 2 scroll. And you know, what does Isaiah talk about? Well, it says, look, I'm going to recover my people a second time. And there's a signal. It's a signal of where we are. God goes ahead and marks the day of history with an archaeological event to give us an understanding of what to do. Right? And Yeshua said, look, when you see the fig tree, which is a symbol of Israel, when you see it, bring forth leaves. People say, well, how do you know in your last days? I mean, they've been talking about this for thousands. We haven't had a state of Israel for thousands of years. And so now we have a signal, we have a marker. Now, you got to understand that, that it doesn't just happen with, with, with ancient, it actually happens with modern day legislations. Israel is debating at this time, they, well, now it's decriminalized, but they were debating what to do with this whole pot issue. I drove through Oklahoma and I'm seeing all this pot stuff everywhere, right? What do we do with this issue, right? It's kind of an interesting thing because, you know, there are people who say, well, God made it. Well, listen, I want to show you something. Here's Israel's debating what to do with this pot issue, and guess what? Six months prior, in the town of Arad, there was actually a temple, and it's actually the only temple from the days of the kings of Judah, and for a long, long time, archaeologists couldn't understand how did this temple survive because Josiah destroyed all the high places. How did this high place survive? It was buried. Who buried it? Hezekiah buried it. Completely intact. It is the most preserved high place. And it's the only high place, but it's one of the most preserved sites in all of Israel. And only until, ready, Six months prior to Israel debating what to do with this whole pot issue, they go and discover that the incense poles at the top of it, right, was a mix of dung and pot. It literally was a high place. So Hezekiah, when he sees the high place, bury it. He, he, he can't put it in his mind, I can't destroy it. I mean, this is a place where people worship God. Bury it. If you're dealing with a pot issue and you're trying to justify it, bury it. Just bury it. God has been giving us instruction. And, and sometimes you may feel like it's outside the box. God still speaks. 
He's still giving us instruction, and he, sometimes he uses archaeological discoveries. We also found brand new fragments this year. And the fragments, one of the fragments they found was actually a passage in, in, in Zechariah 8. Speak truth to one another. And he's actually talking about, hey, look, there's a lot of injustice, a lot of people lying. And in this passage, when he talks about all these things, and it, it actually is referring to, whoops, oh, 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 go back one. It talks about a season when the Lord comes back and is going to rule and reign from Jerusalem. And he says, look, all these fasts that you're doing, they're going to turn into feasts for you. He actually, the fragment we find is actually an indication, hey, I'm getting ready to come back to Jerusalem. The other fragment that was found was actually in Nahum, when it talks about the mount shall quake before him. The whole earth is going to shake when he's coming back in judgment. He says the rocks are going to destroy, be destroyed. And notice what the, the, the promise is to us. The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble. He knows those who take refuge in him. But with an overflowing flood, he will make a complete end of the adversaries. He will pursue his enemies into darkness. So God gives you a question. He says, who can stand in this day of indignation? Who can stand in this day? Those that are trusting in him. If you want to know what to do, hey, find your refuge in him. So he goes ahead and is giving us another sign, another indication. This is a, a thing that was found this year, right? There's a lot of other things that are taking place. But another major event is obviously what's happening inside of Israel to the, the, the construction of another temple. And I'm going to talk about this briefly. In 2017, Donald Trump came out with a coin. It was called the Trump coin. Actually, it wasn't Donald Trump. It was the Temple Institute. And they're trying to raise money for a temple. And, and the coin came out, and it was the 70 years and connected the seven years of Cyrus and the 70 years of, of the, the state of existence of Israel. They made this Trump coin, and, and surely thereafter, that march was the beginning of them starting to offer sacrifices. They haven't accepted Yeshua as the Passover lamb, and now they're starting their own sacrificial system. As this is taking place, they're going forward, and they're... they're and acting that following year, they, they went ahead and dedicated the altar. They had the altar ready to go. Everything's kind of set in motion. And then there was this whole thing about the red heifer. We just shipped over five. I happened to go down and talk to the people that actually had them to, to find out where they were. There's five in Israel, and they may be as early as this Sukkot or by next Pesach. Now, you have to understand the Temple Institute, they, they went ahead and put out this document saying the person that's going to sacrifice the red heifer is maybe the Messiah. And in their mind, you know, they, they're taking it from, from the Talmud, from the Ramban, and the Law of Kings, chapter 11, law number four, the Ramban says the Messiah, an earthly Jewish king, will build a third temple and sect. His only conclusive proof of the identity of the Messiah is that he will be the one that built the temple. Now, there's a lot of believers very confused on this issue. And that's why I'm bringing it up today. Because, you know, the Lord said, take heed that no man deceive you. It's another thing that Paul mentions. He, he mentions all these things. But a lot of the confusion is that people don't understand that the temple the Lord's going to rule and reign from in the future 
The Ezekiel temple specifically I'm talking about, and, and for those that don't know what I'm talking about, is Ezekiel 40 to 48. Nine chapters God spends detailing a temple. A lot of people say, well, that must be spiritual. God doesn't spend nine chapters on spiritual. Now, the, the thing is that the temple dimensions are so large, it doesn't fit on the temple mounts. You don't have to worry about where the, where the a temple's gonna be, ready? The smallest dimensions I've seen is 25 miles by 10 miles. Now, for those that can't see, this is Jerusalem, not the temple mount, this is the entire city of Jerusalem, and this is the area of 25 by 10, right? But actually, it's probably, whoops, more like this, 80 by 30. Now, why is there a disagreement? Well, we don't know how long a reed is. It's not a cubit. All we know is it's much longer than a cubit. And so that's the debate in, inside, of, inside of scholarly circles. Now, why is the temple so large? Well, for those that think that you're, you're, you're only gonna celebrate Sukkot a couple more times, it's at least a 1,000 more. Just gonna point that out to you. For those that don't know what I'm talking about, go to Zechariah 14. And Zechariah 14 talks about all the families of the earth will go year to year to celebrate the Festival of Tabernacles. Now, I want you to imagine a future because the problem is we're trying to look at a time in the future from our current reality. But it's much different. First off, when the Lord comes back and puts his feet on the Mount of Olives, the Mount of Olives is gonna split open and it literally talks about in, in Isaiah that every mountain in the world will be leveled and every valley will be raised up. The geography of the world is gonna be radically different. And the only mountain will be the mountain of the Lord because it will be the highest of all mountains. And on top of this mountain is a huge temple complex where the whole world will say, we'll go up year to year, we'll go up to the mountain of the Lord. Now, can you imagine a world in the future when there's no more wars? We're not gonna have World War II where we have you know, 100 million people die. That's not gonna happen again, right? Um, the whole issue of abortion, the Lord's gonna say, be fruitful and multiply. That's not gonna be a situation in the future, right? Uh, you think diseases, in the future, God's gonna deal with diseases. Like the, we're not gonna have that understanding like today. In Isaiah, it says a young man, ready? An old, a young man is 100 years old. So we're talking about the lifespans of people radically changing, going back to really the times of Genesis. So can you imagine, right, in the future, let's say 900 years future, there won't be just grandparents or great-great-grandparents or great-great-great-great-great-grandparents or great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandparents. How many people do you think will be alive at the end of 1,000 years? That's why the area is so big. And there's some people say, no, no, that, that's the New Jerusalem. I actually, the smallest area seen in the New Jerusalem is this size. It could be a double that size. So it's not the New Jerusalem. And the New Jerusalem's after 
this earth and that has passed away. There's a new heavens and a new earth. So why am I telling you all this? Because there's a lot of people really anticipating, think it's a good sign of the red heifer. Actually, it's not a good sign. However, it's a sign that should activate us with a sense of urgency. Because if you don't understand what is getting ready to take place, you don't understand that the door is closing for the salvation of your friends and family. This is what I'm talking about. In, in, um, oh, for those that, that really want to get an expounded lesson on this, I did a video called Red Heifers, the, the Coming Temple and the Great Delusion. It's on YouTube. But here was Paul, and he's writing about the gathering, uh, coming together to the Lord. He says, and the first thing he says, look, take aim to no man. It's, first off, don't be troubled, right? So stop freaking out. But then it says, let, don't let anyone deceive you. Don't be deceived. Because there's going to be someone who's going to call himself God, sitting in the temple of God, show himself that he is God. He's going to go all kinds of, you know, the law of, the working of lawlessness is already working. Well, we know that. I mean, you can look around now and you say, where's law? Right? And then you continue on and it says, whoops, it's going to do with all kinds of signs and wonders. Here's the key. And with all deceit and unrighteousness and those who perish... Now, why did they perish? Because they received not the love of truth that they might be saved. Meaning, it's your friends and family that have been given the gospel message. They're not accepting it. And now here we go. And for this cause, God's sending them a strong delusion that they should believe a lie. So that all those who do not believe the truth might be condemned because they wanted to live in unrighteousness. If we see a sign of a, of a red heifer and we see them anticipating building this temple, it's going back to this passage here. It's going back to when, when, when Yeshua says in Matthew 24, when you see the, the, the sign of the abomination of desolation, it's going to this passage. And if we see these signs in the natural, that means in the spiritual, the door is closing. We gotta get a sense of urgency. Because what I fear is that the body has got a bunker mentality right now. Oh, I'm just gonna hide out, I'm gonna get raptured out of this. And with a bunker mentality, you're not doing what you're called to do right now. We're called to reach those that are lost. Now, I really believe that we're getting ready to have this water-breaking moment, and part of that is because of some of the things that are happening. We just realized now, right, that, that Jerusalem is now actually the city of David. The irony is that for years they said, well, there's no archaeological proof. We actually, this is actually found in the 1800s. The actual proof for the last 150 years was actually sitting in a museum, and they said, oh, oh, we actually do have the evidence. Now, at the same time that this is happening, this came out in January, shortly thereafter, or shortly, uh, free, the, the Jerusalem Post came out with this whole article talking about the, the 2000 Pilgrimage Road is preparing for modern revival. 
the step road that goes from the, the Pool of Siloam up to the Temple Mount, we actually have now uncovered the entire road. That's only in the last seven years. Let me give you an example of what's happening. Another thing that's happening is that the, the, the Pool of Siloam is being excavated. Now, for those that don't know, the Pool of Siloam is about an, an, an acre and a quarter in dimension. An acre and a quarter. So it's a pretty big pool. Well, that's where all of Israel went to get mikvah. You couldn't go into the temple. It would be like you couldn't come into this congregation today unless you first got yourself cleansed. Well, how do you cleanse a city going in before the temple? Well, you need a big pool. Well, now we're excavating the pool, right? Why is this significant? Well, I'm gonna take you back. Here was in the days of, uh, of Yeshua, on the last day of Sukkot was the great festival. The great festival of Sukkot was the entire, all of Jerusalem and really all of Judaism at that time. Why? Because it was one of the pilgrimage feasts. Every Jew was called to go to Jerusalem. And on this particular feast, they went down to the Pool of Siloam. The high priest would take a picture, dip it into the Pool of Siloam. There was a processional walk. In the processional walk, they would get up to the, high, to the Temple Mount. On the Temple Mount, on the eighth day of the feast, they would, he would pour the water. He would actually quote this passage. Behold, God is my Yeshua. Right? I will trust and not be afraid. And Lord God is my strength and my song. He has become my Yeshua. For with joy you shall draw from the wells of Yeshua. What happens on that last day of the feast that says in John... Right? If anyone thirsts, let him come to me. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture says, out of his heart shall flow rivers of living water. We found the pool of Siloam. The pool of Siloam, ready? I think it's getting ready to birth a nation again. Because you have to go back to Acts, the first day of Shavuot, or the day of Shavuot, the day of Pentecost. 3,000 Jews got saved. It began the age. When the fullness of the Gentiles comes in, then all of Israel will be saved. Uh, you might need a big baptismal pool for that. Right? Where do you think 3,000 Jews got saved at the beginning? You probably need a pretty big pool. Wow, we're digging the pool that they have, may have been baptized in. Do you understand the significance? We're getting ready to birth a nation again into the kingdom of God. The, 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 the Pool of Siloam is only really mentioned one time. It's in, in John 9. You know, it's an interesting time because here is a theological question. The theological question, well, who, who sinned? Was it, you know, this guy is born blind. Who sinned? Was it his parents' fault? Was his fault? And the irony is that Yeshua says, look, it's not that this man is sinner's parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. Now, we must work the works of him who sent me while it is day, because the night is coming that no man can work. Finding the pool of Siloam, finding these different events, is telling us, ready, to work while it is day. There's got to be a sense of urgency. Continue reading this passage. Here was, Yeshua says, I am the light of the world, Right? Now, having said all these things, he spit on the ground, 
He anoints this mud. He puts it on the guy's eyes. Says, go to the pool of Siloam and wash. The guy goes to the pool of Siloam. He came, went to the pool and washed. And his neighbor said, hey, is that the guy that's blind? No, 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 no. It just looks like him. He's blind. He couldn't be seen now. Hey, it's me. Well, how did you see? Well, this man, Yeshua, made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to the pool, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and I received my sight. Continues on. He says, well, where is he? I don't know. I just started seeing like five minutes ago. Right? I mean, think about this. Where is he? I don't even know what he looks like. Right? So they brought him to the Pharisees. Happened to be Shabbat when this happened. So he said, how did, how did you see? Well, look, he put mud in my eyes. My eyes were dirty. I went to the pool. I washed. And now I see. Well, this man can't be from God. He doesn't keep Shabbat like we think he should keep Shabbat. And there was a division among them. Look, Yeshua did come to bring peace. He came with a message, and it's a message of life and death. You can't go ahead and say, Yeshua's just a good guy. No, Yeshua claimed to be the only way to the Father. There's not other paths. He didn't go ahead and give you the option that there was many other ways into the kingdom. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man, I don't know where you get, maybe someone else gets in some other way. When he says, no man comes to the Father, but by who? By me, he said. Right? So there's a division among them. I said, well, who do you think he is? Well, obviously, he's someone important. He's probably a prophet. Right? And then they said, well, that, well, well you're just teasing us. You were never really blind. Get his parents. So his parents came. How does, uh, how does, is this your son? Yes, my son. How does he see? Them in fear, that's what it says in, in verse 22. In fear, they didn't want to be pushed out of the synagogue. We should never let fear of sharing the gospel or fear of man prevent us because they allowed fear of men to go ahead and talk about a miracle that just happened to their son that they could see with their physical eyes. And for those that have been truly transformed by the message of salvation, our lives have gone from dark to light. I mean, it's a miracle. You can see people that, what happened to him? He got saved. That's what should happen. We should be walking miracles of testimony. Well, that's what happened with this guy. He was walking miracle of testimony. He said, well, we know that this guy is our son. He was born blind. Well, I, look, why don't you ask him? So they asked him a second time. So that is the third time he's explained himself. Give glory to God. We know this man is a sinner. And he goes, look, I don't know what he is, but I know this. I once was blind, but now I see. Right? What did he do to you? Look, I know I've explained this a couple times, but I think you want me to explain it so much because you want to be his disciples. 
Oh my goodness. It gets interesting. You are his disciple. We are disciples of Moshe. We know that God has spoken from Moshe, but we don't know where this guy comes from. And he goes, look, why don't you just accept the miracle for what it is? This has never happened before in the history of the world. I once was blind, now I see. This man is obviously someone from God. So they pushed him out. They threw him out of the synagogue. Whoops, go back. And the theological question at the beginning of the passage, you that was born in utter sin, it wasn't him that sinned. It wasn't his parents that sinned. It was that the glory of God might be manifested in him. You come to teach us. They cast him out. So Yeshua heard that he cast him out. He says, hey, do you believe in the Son of Man? Now, the interesting thing is here is Yeshua that had healed him. He didn't run up to him and grab him and say, thank you for healing me. He doesn't even know who Yeshua is. He doesn't know. He says, well, uh, do you believe in the Son? Well, who is he? Then I might believe in him. Well, you're now seeing him. You're now seeing him. And as he was speaking to you, and he said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. Yeshua wasn't just a man. No man could receive worship. But Yeshua was able to receive worship. Why? Because he is the son of God. So now here he is. For judgment came in the world that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. We can look all around us today. The evidence that it takes now not to believe is so great. Because now we have all the archaeological evidence. I mean, in the last 50 years... We have the Dead Sea Scrolls, which shows us the word hasn't changed in thousands of years. We have events taking place on a, on a level now that the Bible talks about. We didn't think the world could get this crazy. Well, uh, apparently it can because we're now at the end of the age. It's never happened before. When we see the, the things in motion... Not that it's here yet, but we see the things in motion of how someone could go ahead and not be able to buy or sell unless he had a mark. We're seeing things in motion that they, they we're seeing a state of Israel exist now. We're seeing them talking about building a temple. These are all in motion now. And if you're hinging your entire faith that the last few prophecies aren't going to be fulfilled, you're the one that truly has faith. I now am living in the evidence that I see and that I hear. And God is showing, screaming out with a loud voice, come to me and believe. The hour is short. We have to have a sense of urgency. We have to have a sense of urgency to go ahead and reach people that we know are lost. We gotta have a sense of urgency and start praying and fasting for those. Because the day is at hand now where soon enough no man can work. But it also tells us something that a kingdom is coming. I mean, for those that have been anticipating the kingdom, we are now at the door. We're getting ready to see the Lord return in all his glory. 
We're getting ready to walk into a kingdom that God has prepared from the foundation of the world. We're at these days, this day and time now. It is not time to be bunkered down with fear and anxiety. It's time to be released, to go ahead and loving all those around us with the love that he gave to us. Because Yeshua died for us. And now we walk in resurrection power, amen. So Abba, Father, I ask you, Lord, that you would seal this word. I ask you, Father, that you would go ahead and pour upon this whole congregation just a fresh outpouring of your spirit. I ask you, Father, that you would just remove all fear and replace it with perfect love. And Father, I ask you, Lord, that you would do a wonderful thing in our midst. B'Shem Yeshua HaMashiach. You've been listening to the Shabbat message from Rosh Pina Messianic Jewish Congregation in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. We would love to have you visit us. Our weekly services begin at 1040 a.m. each Shabbat, and we are located at 2600 Northwest 55th Place, north of Northwest Expressway at the corner of Northland Avenue and Northwest 55th Place. We meet each Shabbat for wonderful praise and worship with dance, liturgy, teaching, food, fellowship, excellent children's programs, and Bible studies on Tuesday nights. For more information, please visit our website, www.roshpinah.org. That's R-O-S-H-P-I-N-A-H dot O-R-G. You can also reach us by phone at 405-842-1967 or email us at info at Thank you for spending time in the Word with us today. Shabbat Shalom and blessings in Messiah Yeshua.